Hey, this is Brad. We know there are a lot of things competing for your time. However, if you've taken the time to listen to our podcast and you like what we're doing, we'd love it if you would subscribe, review, or rate us. Thank you so much. Welcome to Corner Table Talk. I am your host, Brad Johnson, and here we explore subjects related to food plus strength plus culture. And as always, with questions or comments about our show, you can reach me at brad at postandbeamhospitality.com. And like most people these days, I'm paying a lot closer attention to the relationship between food and health. Gut health, which has become a buzzy phrase the past couple of years, as well as the connection to brain health, is inarguably linked with what we put in our bodies and the food we consume. Also, given climate change, words like sustainability are being used more often in relationship to our food sources, from farming to meat consumption and fishing. We've got to change our ways so that our children's children don't inherit a much different and less inhabitable planet than the one that we've enjoyed. Eating a plant-based diet could be the single biggest way to reduce your environmental impact on the earth, according to a study from Oxford University. And eliminating meat and dairy products from your diet could reduce an individual's carbon footprint from food by 73%. That's a pretty big number. And according to Plant Protein, an online source for eating a plant-based diet, a recent study shows that nearly 40% of millennials identify as vegan. Baby boomers and Generation X tie at 21% each, with only 2% of seniors labeling themselves as vegans. Come on, seniors, you got to pick up these numbers. Uh, These numbers are expected to continue to grow in the coming years, domestically and internationally. From milk to burgers, Burger King's Impossible Whopper, even McDonald's is jumping into the game. Plant-based products and the demand for plant-based dining options is growing. And even those who aren't completely plant-based are eating more in that regard. My guest today, Shinari Freeman, is a 2022 James Beard Award semifinalist for Emerging Chef and the executive chef of the very popular restaurant Cadence, located in Manhattan's East Village. Shinari helms the kitchen that serves up a plant-based menu focused on her version of plant-based soul food. With Cadence, Shinari taps into her Virginia upbringing and vegan ethos and spotlight Southern foodways through the lens of health and sustainability. Cadence is part of Overthrow Hospitality, a mission-driven plant-based restaurant and bar group founded by Ravi DeRossi, a 2022 James Beard Award semifinalist for Outstanding Restaurant Tour. In his review of Cadence, New York Times food critic Pete Wells says, quote, part of the fun of eating there is watching Ms. Freeman come up with plant-based versions of canonical black southern dishes from her childhood in Virginia. The rich yellow pillow of cornbread she bakes in an iron skillet is dripping with melted vegan butter and sweetened with an apple-based honey substitute. And a potato salad, unmushy, tart from chopped pickles, perfectly seasoned, is exactly the one you hope somebody will bring to the family reunion. He goes on to say Ms. Freeman is doing something like the work of a literary translator rendering a cuisine in different language with its own rules. That's quite a description. (laughs) Shinari Freeman, welcome to Corner Table Talk. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for that amazing intro. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We're going to, we jump off here with what we call short order questions, and I don't have to describe what that means to you. So tell me, the music at Cadence is described as sultry. So what's on that playlist? I have a little bit of everything on the playlist. I tap into a lot of the music my mom would play when I was growing up in Virginia. So she had an amazing, impressive vinyl collection. So we're playing a little bit of Prince. There's some Luther Vandross, a little bit of Diana Ross. But then I also have a music background where I worked in concert venues for 10 years. So I'm adding artists like Questlove, The Roots, Mostef, Toro Yumoa. I would say a mix of like 80s jam sessions, like cookout music, a little bit of house music, and then some R&B and soul. Do you program the music yourself? I do. I make a million playlists. 
<laughs> what is your platform? What do you use? I use mostly Spotify. So the playlists are available for anyone that wants to listen. I also use a little bit of Apple Music, and then I may do some deep searching on SoundCloud where I find these three-hour mixes. But it's all part of the research that goes into Cadence. Nice. Tell me, what is your morning beverage? What's the first liquid that you oh, consume in the morning? I love this question. So I tend to break my fast with liquids in general. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm usually doing a tea blend. Right now we're getting into the spring season. So I'm doing a mix of hibiscus leaves, jasmine, and rose petals. Just a nice floral mix. I usually start my day with that. And then I'll transition into a lemon juice and a fresh juice that I make in the house. So like celery, what I have right now, celery, cucumber, pineapple. So lots of juices and liquids in the morning. Funny, I, although she's off mic, I can hear Ambassador Shabazz scribbling down notes as you speak, because <laughs> that is her language. So Shinari, what is, tell me, what's your favorite spice of the moment? Ooh. What are you working with that you like? I'm a very simple woman. I love my Old Bay. I love my Old Bay seasoning. It's my favorite thing. It's my go-to. I sprinkle that into most of the things that I cook. Yeah, it's a great flavor. It is. So I know you work out of the East Village, but I think you live in Bed-Stuy. But what's the place that you like to go most after work? Where do you hang out? Like neighborhoods? No place, like a, like a bar, restaurant, coffee shop. Where do, where do you unwind after work? I tend to go to, it's probably not unwinding, but I go to Dumble House quite a bit. It's probably the opposite of unwinding. But I'm a really huge fan of music and just like movement through the body. So I love to go out and dance any second that I get. Uh, as far as a bar, I also try to support black owned businesses as much as possible. So I go to a bar called Last Lap a lot, which is in Lower East Side. So it's not too far from Cadence, actually. Last lap. Okay, that's a, that's a new one on me. Good one. I also read that you enjoy the waters of Tulum, but tell me, where are you looking forward to traveling to? Uh, Italy is on my list right now. I don't know how and when that will happen with my hectic schedule, but I really want to go to Italy soon to dive into that culture a bit more. Of course, learn more about the foods out there and just the scenery. Like I see beautiful pictures online all the time. So Italy's been um, on my mind. Stanley Tucci has been inspiring everybody with his CNN show oh, lately. Yeah. So last one of these, footwear at work. What's on your feet? I know you stand a lot. My mom got me these very cute clogs. I don't know what they're called, but they're not like your typical clogs. They have a little strap and there's like a flower at the top, I guess, to, for venting for the socks. So that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> Comfortable? They are cozy, very cozy, yes. All right, so let's let's jump in. So Shinari, Cadence recently moved into a larger space across the street from the original locations. And first of all, congratulations on the uh, James Beard Foundation nomination. That is just phenomenal for what you're doing at Cadence and the reviews have just been fantastic. So how are you adjusting to, I know your original space was, was very small, very slim, only pretty much bar seating, right? With, with a little bit of outdoor. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And the new space is going to be larger. So how are you adjusting to uh, the larger space? You've got to bring in some additional staff. The, the menu going to be relatively the same. What's the vibe of the new spot? So for the new space, we've pretty much tripled in capacity. We just wrapped up our first full week in the new space. So we're going into our second week starting today. We've expanded the staff a little bit more. So I have a few more people in the kitchen. Um, we have a few more people front of house. We also have a bar now and a cocktail program. So that is probably the newest addition to the menu. But as far as changing out the food items, I still have everything from the original menu right now, but I have two kitchens versus one. So I'll be slowly incorporating and adding new things. I'm at a little bit of a halt because I'm trying to transition over to using all local black farmers for my vending, trying to get out of these bigger corporations. So once I get that settled, we'll definitely be adding more things to the menu. Interesting. So local black farmers is what you're trying to transition to purchasing from. Yes. As far as like my produce, like bulk mm -hmm. produce, 
simple things like microgreens. I, I think my menu is very, it's mostly year round with everything that I have, which is great, but I do want to highlight things that are in season when they're in season. So right now, like asparagus and ramps are in season. So I'd like to play around with those things. But it's difficult with a very small space. With two kitchens now, it's definitely possible. Where are the two kitchens? Are they both under the same roof now? Or are you also operating out of the old Cadence space? Nope, they're right beside each other. They're in the restaurant of the new Cadence. Wow. So you're going to research and develop in one kitchen and then serve out of the other? Is that kind of the idea? We cook out of both of them for service right now. That's another thing. We're still trying to figure out like our setup. We had a really good week uh, last week for the first week. Everything seemed to flow pretty good. So I like cooking out of both kitchens because it won't clamp everyone up on one side of the kitchen and then just have nothing going on the other side, just trying to maximize the space as much as possible. I do want to ask you a labor-related question, but mm -hmm. before I do, because my mouth is still watering and thinking about that <laughs> cornbread, does your cornbread vary very much from the, a traditional cornbread that someone might expect uh, grandma made or we get at a soul food spot? I think mine is a lot more moist probably than your standard cornbread and the cornbread that I grew up eating. It's a lot more moist, but I've had cornbread a lot of different ways. I've had it in a skillet where the rims and the bottom super crunchy and crispy. And I've had very moist cornbread. I've had cornbread with corn in it. I've had it all, um, even like different season type of cornbreads. But I think the thing that makes mine stand out so much, obviously it's vegan. I feel like for some reason, it's hard for people to find vegan cornbread. I don't know why. It's a very simple recipe. But the sugar replacements that I'm using and throughout the entire restaurant, we only do natural sugars to get people thinking a bit more in that direction. But I do half liquid sugar, agave or maple syrup, and then the other half is maple crystals. So I think cutting the sugar in half with the liquid sugar and a crystal makes it a bit more moist throughout. So it's not like dry. <laughs> it's not dry cornbread. No, it sounds delicious. And I, I tell you, I've been using uh, vegan butter for a while mm -hmm. now and because I have a history of cholesterol and vegan butter has no cholesterol. And while you miss a little bit of that slickness maybe from mm -hmm. traditional butter, I've completely adjusted to it and I don't yeah. miss, you know, uh, traditional butter at all. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I've had real butter. I have, you know, lots of friends and talk to a lot of people in hospitality. Of course, that's what our show is. And people across the country have continued to just talk about how there's just a shortage of available labor everywhere from California to Florida to New York. And I'm curious, as you moved into a larger space, I know you have the benefit of some scale and that you're part of a restaurant group. Did that help to make hiring easier or are you finding some of those same challenges? I think it's just always going to be a challenge trying to find people. I, I don't think finding people is necessarily the issue. I think it's finding people that are on board with your mission, that are dedicated, that have a certain skill set, have a certain amount of knowledge and like appreciation for what you're doing. I like to vet people before we get them into the kitchen just so that there's like a mutual understanding about what Cadence is, what we're doing here, see what they're passionate about and also see what their goals are with the restaurant and then outside of the restaurant to see if you know, we can get them to that point. I'm not the type of chef that just wants to hire people and keep them there forever by no means. I want to see everyone grow. So I think finding people is not hard. It's just finding people with a similar mindset or just alignment is a bit harder. I know some are having a hard time just getting bodies in the door. But I think to your point, the phrase you use of making, trying to find an alignment, because you're going to invest in these people. You're training them. You want them to understand what you're trying to accomplish there. One of the frustrating experiences that I've found is the amount of time that you do spend training and then you lose people. There's constant turnover. If you don't control that, you find you're spending more time training than you are actually cooking or perfecting or improving. That can get to, that can be a tough cycle, but you haven't experienced that. No, not really. We're also part of a company. We have a lot of people that may apply to the company in general or other restaurants. And if things may not work out there, people switch restaurants within our company all the time. My chef de cuisine is from 
one of the other restaurants. One of my line cooks is from one of the other restaurants, the bartender. So people work within a company at different restaurants all the time. So I think that's helping us out as well versus maybe if I was just a single small business restaurant and not working for a company. So I'm just like stuck. But luckily we have a support system behind us. Yeah, that footprint definitely helped. Yeah. So taking a step back here, you grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and traditional soul food was a big part of what your family ate, as is the case with most of us. In a uh, Vogue article, you mentioned fried oysters and chitlins. I used to love chitlins. I can't. I used to eat the frozen parks kind, as nasty as they were. That was my go-to. And I would imagine other staples as well, traditionally considered quote unquote soul food. You went to Howard and while attending school, started working initially in a live music focus venue, the one that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, then at local favorite restaurant Marvin, which was named after the DC native, we all love Marvin Gaye. And you took to hospitality, but at the same time, you did this appraisal about the lifestyle and its effect on health, the overworking, and you didn't feel like you were necessarily paying attention to what you were eating. And I think this was like 2017 or so. Yes. And you decided to become a vegan. So can you talk about your early experience of working and going to school in D.C. and your decision to to change up your lifestyle. And I'm curious if vegan was growing and plant-based diet was growing in popularity at the time at Howard while you were there. So just give us a little taste of that background. I moved to D.C. for my undergraduate program at Howard in 2011. Um, At the time, I had no interest in veganism or the diet, the lifestyle. I honestly didn't even really hear about it. I don't think it was as, I, I, I know it was popular, but just not in the environments that I was in. But once I started working for 930 Club, the music venue that I worked at, I think that was either 2011 or 2012. That was actually my first introduction into vegan food because half of the menu there was vegan. So I would have to prep vegan chili. Uh, I would make hummus, olive tapenade, a vegan cream cheese, all of these things. And I didn't know what it was, uh, but it was good. As a college student, you're working at a food place. So obviously it's great that you get free food. So I started incorporating that into my diet, but not necessarily ready to take a full leap. Funny enough, when I was growing up, I used to eat a lot of ham like just straight ham. And I remember when I was 11 for Thanksgiving, I guess I ate too much ham and every piece of ham that I ever had just came out. I got really sick. I never touched ham again and the smell of it made me nauseous. And I remember having ham in that establishment when I was cooking on the line there. And it triggered me to think, okay, like I'm not doing ham anymore. What else can I cut out my diet? Not necessarily thinking about a vegan diet, but I decided to cut out red meat my first year of college. And then slowly as the years went by, it was just a conscious decision. Eventually I got to the point where I was only eating seafood. That was my meat intake. I wasn't doing red meat. I wasn't doing pork. I wasn't doing chicken. I wasn't doing turkey. Still not thinking about becoming vegan. It wasn't until, you know, I saw my health start to decline a bit when I I think I was 21 or 22 working at Marvin. That's when I was like, okay. We're done. No, no more seafood. I'm going to do it. Someone actually had recommended it to me like, hey, you should try doing a vegan diet. So I did that for 30 days and then 90 days. And then it just became very easy. But it was a struggle in the beginning, for sure. Huge. Yeah. (laughs) I'd also read that you're an avid cyclist and a runner. One thing that I think that I've noticed pretty consistently among people who have a plant-based diet is their skin. And your skin is beautiful. It's, I know you're young. You just have flawless skin. What changes would you say that you felt as you made that, that change in your diet, physically, mentally, spiritually? What, how do you think it affected you? Everything. I think the first thing that I noticed was the amount of times I would go to the bathroom and just flush out. I think maybe the average person has, I don't know, one or two stools a day immediately i started having five (laughs) i was just like what is going on i was like okay clearly something's trying to get out of my body so 
So that was the first thing that I noticed. And then the second thing, I feel like I had some type of spiritual awakening. I know a lot of times when people start a vegan diet or lifestyle, they say that their they their third eye is clear, like their brain is less clouded or less foggy. So I experienced that as well. I was questioning everything. It got to the point I felt like I needed to unlearn everything that I've ever been taught and pick up some new um, skill sets, pick up some new knowledge. I started reading. I got into deep YouTube holes with Dr. Layla Africa, just like studying his work, Queen of Food. It was a whole transition. Then, of course, physically, I started to lose a lot of weight. I started to see my skin clear up. I feel like my hair was growing a bit more. I had a lot of instant changes and that's how I knew it was working and that's how I knew this was the direction for me to go. Yeah, and obviously you are your own case study. What I alluded to at the intro with the connection between gut health mm -hmm. and brain health, it sounds like you really experienced first the elimination and then this third eye as you referred to, but this this just enlightening and a, an awakening and a, yeah. you know kind of clearing some of the cobwebs and the smoke. Yeah, that's literally what happened. I know, I remember one point I was just like, why do we eat only three meals a day? Or why are we eating so much food at the beginning of the day as opposed to fruits or liquids and easing into our food intake for the day. A lot of people, they'll have a very heavy breakfast and they'll get the itis or they'll get very tired. I learned that basically you're doing too much. <laughs> That's a short version. I also learned that your body is trying to break down between the hours of, I think it's 5 a.m. and 12 noon. So when you add on all that extra food and you're eating a massive amount of food early in the morning, your body can't break down. And this also goes into the reason why people have a problem eliminating properly. So all to say, that's why I do liquids in the morning or fresh fruit to help my body cleanse out as it properly needs to. I've been doing that for the past seven years. I tell everyone. <laughs> I tell my friends, I tell my family, I tell everyone. You're good proof that it works. So you started, if I have this right, you began hosting pop-ups and working as a private chef around DC. So were your menus at that point totally vegan? And what was the reaction to the food that you were doing? Menus were totally vegan. This is probably my first time allowing people on that scale to try my food. So I, I was a little nervous. I'm a pretty shy person, believe it or not. I was very nervous about it, but I think my first pop-up sold out and I, I think I did five or six courses. Compared to what I cook now, I was just like, wow, I can't believe people pay for that. The menus were completely vegan. Everybody was blown away. There was a lot of support and that led to two or three additional other pop-ups. Those all sold out. I think I was in a very transitioning state, trying to figure out what was next, what should I do. People like my food, but I haven't been to culinary school. So all of those things went into the factor that pushed me to go to New York for culinary school and really learn the proper skill set. I was just going to mention that because that, to your credit, you recognize that, wait a minute, I'm on to something here. Let me back this up with a little formal training. And then, as you said, you moved to New York and attended the Institute um, of Culinary Education and their Health Supportive Culinary Arts Program. You ultimately took a front of house management position with Overthrow Hospitality. That's the group that you're with now. Yes. In 2014, the author, food activist, and chef Brian Terry published Afro Vegan. Mm -hmm. His book that blends and remixes African, Caribbean, and Southern food staples into creative vegan dishes. And I only became aware of him and his work this past year when we had him on the show. But it's such an interesting reverse course, especially for American, quote unquote, soul food, which has meant to, to many heavy and not necessarily healthy. Interestingly enough, people of color converting to a vegan or plant-based diet is one of the fastest growing segments in the market. So I wonder at what point did the vision for synthesizing traditional soul and Southern staples start to come together for you? And what was the reaction when you first pitched that as a restaurant concept? 
I think it was very second nature for me, just considering being from Virginia, these are the foods that I know, like the back of my hand, that and adapting a plant-based lifestyle, and then also incorporating culinary school. So I think that's why it's so easy for me, because um, I'm not, mm-hmm. of course, I'm applying myself and I'm doing what I can, but this is all very natural to me. Um, it's just taking those foods that I grew up eating, applying what I learned in culinary school and making it into the food that I eat today. I think it's so interesting. People are very blown away. I'm blown away too, but I cook like this at home. (laughs) So sometimes I'm just like, what do people eat? Which is interesting. But ironically, when pitching the ideal to Robbie about vegan soul food, it was fake. We were both on the same page. We were both thinking about it. He put me on the spot when he asked me. I think it was like my second day working at Avant Garden. He was like, oh, I have this restaurant space. I know you're a chef. What would you do? And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess vegan soul food. He was like, great. I was thinking the same thing. So it was instant. And I think I was just in the right place at the right time. I would say. And I, and I want to emphasize the point that, that I've heard you make, that it's not, you don't have to be vegan no. to eat there. Right? You can find stuff you're going to love, even if vegan is not, or plant-based is not necessarily the only way that you eat. Yeah. Funny enough, 90% of our clientele is not vegan. We're we're pleasing the masses. We're pleasing the meat eaters, the chitlin lovers. We are pleasing all crowds <laughs> and all palates, which is also great. Yeah. And that's how I know it's simply yeah. flavor and texture. That's all it is. It's so wild that the, the kind of kismet light bulb moment of both you and Robbie having the same thought yeah. and the space being available and you plugging right in. I talk about meant to yeah. be. It was a more alignment. <laughs> love that. Was there anything during the menu testing period that didn't work that you were like, nah, that's not going to fly? Many things. I definitely got my feelings hurt. Um, (laughs) I got a lot during the tastings for Cadence. I did my culinary school's commencement speech yesterday, and I mentioned this. I had eight months of recipe development. I've I've never heard so many no's. You can do better. I know you're better than this. Flavor's not right. Texture's not right. I felt very defeated during that process. It was very emotional to me because I think I'm used to being told yes. It was a whole new and different experience for me as a chef. And it only made me go 10 times harder. It only made me really do more research, get more creative. I would step away from certain recipes, come back maybe two months later, try it again, try to really perfect these recipes. I think that's the reason why everything on our menu sells. There's no lagging dishes. There's no, like the salad's okay or the dessert is okay. Everything on that menu sells. People are still talking about my wedge salad, which I thought was something very simple, but you'd be surprised what people are looking for in a vegan version. Same with the cornbread. I think that's very simple, but not much vegan cornbread on the market or potato salad, apparently. So I think there's a lot of things that at this point, how they are in the menu, they're a very different variation than what they were when I first started working out those recipes. What didn't get on the menu? I think as far as things that didn't make it, I have a jackfruit curry with a cauliflower risotto that didn't make it but I'm going to revisit that I think I had this sweet potato or like yam dish with roasted figs and that didn't make it either um, what I know. <laughs> that sounds good <laughs> it was pretty, I thought it was good too um, but not good enough they're good but they're not my plating wasn't right or the portion wasn't mm-hmm. a good size or it didn't it didn't compete with the fried lasagna or something like that yeah and, and a testament to the, the good fortune of being with a restaurant group that you had the chance to recipe test mm-hmm. behind closed doors so to speak as opposed to opening with dishes that you may have had a chance to perfect and trying them out on guests and the feedback from customers real time. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's cool. As I mentioned, Pete Wells from New York Times gave you a glowing review in August of, of 2021. That was a few months after you opened. Restaurants were still dealing with the effects of COVID. And you had a very small space, a cozy room, but I think most of the dining was inside. I'm curious, 
how that review impacted the demand for the restaurant and how were you affected by COVID? I know you had some outdoor seating, but primarily indoor. In the beginning, I think when we first opened, we were very packed with the the New York Times announced our opening a day before we opened. So we were packed with bloggers, people in the food world, foodies, all of that. And as the summer lagged a little bit, we, I think those were the times we were really feeling the effects of COVID. Some days we just weren't busy, but instead of it affecting us in a financial matter, we took it as, okay, we're going to make these connections with our clientele. So we got a lot of regulars during that time in between when we opened to the Pete Wells review. Then once the Pete Wells review came out, we were booked. That tiny 12-seat bar had a wait list of 500 that first weekend when that review came out. We've been fully booked every night since then, every single night, which is great because it's I know how much I need to order. I know how much I need to prep. I know it's going to be consistent, which is great. But yeah, we thank you, Pete Wells. <laughs> Did numbers. <laughs> I've been in the restaurant business long enough to remember a time when we preferred to open quietly. Yeah. And for the one of the reasons that you stated, because you get to know who your real customers are going to be, who lives in the neighborhood, who you're going to see on a regular basis, not necessarily the people that just read about something and flood your place and you never get to meet the, the, the regulars. It's a different experience. But 500 people on your waiting list, I, I can't even imagine it. A, what, a 12 seat place? Yeah, it was <laughs> insane. I think it created that exclusivity feeling. Oh, like I got a reservation at Cadence and my friends have to wait three months or something like that. So I, it was a good problem to have. Nice to be popular. I'm going to read uh, a, a quote from Pete Wells. Quote, yes, Cadence uses Beyond Meat to make a credible vegan bolognese for lasagna, then dresses it with a ricotta analog made on site from pine nuts. But that isn't the point of the dish. Through some trick of engineering, the lasagna is rolled inside individual squares of pasta, then breaded and fried like a drumstick. In the process, Ms. Freeman convinces you that lasagna, a dish you grew up on, is just as Southern as she is. And Shinari, I, I go back to that, that quote that I read of his or early on where he describes you as Ms. Freeman is doing something like, the work of a literary translator rendering a cuisine in a different language with its own rules. And I'm, I'm curious, was it your intention to have the lasagna perceived as something Southern or were you just making a dish that you wanted to make the way you wanted to make it? So I've always made vegan lasagna since I you know, transitioned to a plant-based diet about seven, eight years ago. So I was known for lasagna and on top of that my mom would always make that for my brother and I growing up so to me it was because it was just always there and when I introduced that idea to Robbie for the restaurant he was just like that's Italian no <laughs> but you don't understand most black families eat lasagna it is soul food just try to really push him on my case he was like okay if you convince me if you make it Southern, we can go forth with it. So I, I just started playing around, experimenting with it. I did a cast iron lasagna. I did roll the lasagna originally, but I didn't fry it. So I tried so many different variations of it. Then one day he texted me, why don't you fry it? And I was like, how? He was like, that's your job to figure it out. Great. <laughs> More challenges. At that point... It, it was just more recipe development on top of what I had already done. Right. This version that the restaurant has now was like the version of it. And I was like, okay, let's do it like this. It's everything staying intact. It's delicious. It's beautiful. Let's run with it. It hit the culinary scene like, like crazy. <laughs> It definitely caught my eye because it mixes my heritages perfectly. My father was African-American and my mom was Italian. To have a blend of lasagna that touches on both, I'm making a beeline for you whenever I can get a seat. So while there's some debate on the positive environmental impact, according to Vox Media in a November 2021 article, quote, the evidence is clear. Faux meats are better 
far better for the planet and uh, and animals than conventional meat. So, of course, for for the animals, I'm sure that uh, that animals would vote for faux meats as well. But I'm a regular consumer shinari of Beyond Meat. I make burgers for my wife and I at home with vegan cheese, vegan butter, a great pickle. I'm I'm burger happy. That really works for me. I'm curious, though, what's your take on faux meats? I know there's Impossible, there's Beyond. I know you use Beyond. Do you see a chicken coming down the road? But what's your take on the faux meat movement? I'm honestly not a fan of it. As far as like the menu for Cadence, that is the only processed thing on the menu. And again, originally with my idea of Cadence and what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be very just health forward. I didn't want any fake meats. I didn't want any soy, nothing processed. At first I was doing no salt. (laughs) I didn't want anything fried. I had to compromise on certain things, which is, you know, understandable. But there's a lot of things from my original idea and how I cook in general that Cadence isn't. I'm very proud of my work at Cadence, but as far as baked meats, soy products, a lot of the things that are on the market right now, I personally would say eat those things in moderation or not at all. I'm into the vegan plant-based world because of like health reasons. I'm very health conscious. So for me, it's like we're eating processed foods or um eating a lot of soy and the health effects that it has on your body, you might as well just eat the real thing. That's how I feel. But I do understand with certain business models, you may have to like compromise. Putting the Beyond Meat in my lasagna was meat compromising. It's still soy free. It's pea and mung bean. Protein is the base of it, so that's great. It's not as bad as Impossible Meat in my opinion, but I feel like my style of cooking at home, no, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I get it. And you don't want to trade one evil for another, you know, right. thinking you're doing something good by eating these faux meats and you're really just slightly better. But I think the case to be made for saving the animals, of course, and for the planet, that's a good case to be made for faux meat as a, as a substitution. I think for environmental purposes and for animal rights, yes, I think those mm-hmm. things are a great way to combat that issue. The third pillar of why people go vegan and plant-based is for health reasons. So that's the one we're not pitting on the nail when we eat these type of products. But for the other two reasons, yes, it's fine. But health is my number yeah. one. Because if I'm not healthy, how am I helping yeah. any planet or any animal? <laughs> so that's how I look at it. True. And everywhere you turn for health-related news emphasizes the importance of a diet leaning more towards plant-based, as I mentioned. The subjects of gut health and brain health seem to lead back to less animal protein and more plant-based. And Shannara, that made me think of school lunch programs. And since kids want food that tastes good, and clearly yours does, I wonder, has anyone approached you about creating a school lunch not a school lunch program i do work with a few schools in new york where i'll come in and i'll do food demos or i'll cook with the students their home economics classes things of that nature actually someone asked me last year about doing a lunch program but they never followed through i'm not short of any opportunities if something doesn't go through it's okay it's not the end of the world for me (laughs) I do quite a bit of work with the New York schools now. I just don't do a lunch. I I can see them knocking on your door soon on a more major scale. Just uh, a couple more things before I let you go. I know your day is long and you just opened this new space, but just give us a quick walk through your day from start to finish. What's your day entail? So (laughs) on a typical work day, I will wake up. I usually spend about three to five minutes meditating before I get out my bed, just get my mind. After that, I try to do some type of movement, whether it be yoga, cardio, Pilates, or go for a run. Then I'll start getting into my morning routine, starting with the liquid, teas, smoothies, juice, water, all that good stuff, followed by some fruit. I try to not get on my computer before 12, so I'll start meetings, interviews, anything on the computer I do from 12 to 2. And then I will walk to the train at 2 o'clock and get to work by 3. When I get to work, 
depending on what's going on, I might have deliveries or I might have to do inventory or plate shopping or run around or something. I'll do that between three and four. We'll do a lineup at 4.15, 4.30, family meal, go over notes for the day, like a pre-shift, and then we start service at five. And we're just rocking and rolling till about 11. And yeah, then I'll come home from work, feed my cat, maybe watch some TV, have a glass of wine and go to bed. That's a full day. With the expanded staff, are your pre-shift meetings a little bit different than the ones that you used to have with a smaller staff? You're talking to you know a larger crew. Yes, they are a bit more detailed because in the original space, the front of house and the back of house, there was no front of house, back of house. It was just, we're all the same. But now there is... A kitchen staff, back of house, um, front of house, there's a maitre d', there's a bartender, there's a few other positions that have been added, so we do need to go over certain notes a bit more in detail. Also with the new staff that's not familiar with the menu, I try to go over allergies every day, or I'll try to keep explaining certain dishes until people have those things in their mind. How have the alcohol sales been this first week? I know uh, you have a full bar now. Are people ordering uh, their favorite cocktail with their smoked grits? Yes. When I say full bar, we don't sell hard liquor because the New York law is that if you are within 200 feet of a church or a school, you can't sell hard liquor. We have a very special cocktail program because they're all wine-based. So I think that's something else that makes us like very unique and special because people get to come and try these very good cocktails, but they're all mm-hmm. wine-based. So I think that's something that's very different um, amongst all the other things that make us stand out. But I think alcohol sales have been very well, very well. Yeah. And I should mention, too, I think you try to purchase exclusively from Black-owned wineries. Is that correct? Our entire wine list is Black-owned. That was something that was expressed before we even opened the restaurant. We wanted to support all Black-owned wineries and winemakers. So we have quite a few from South Africa. We have a few athlete wines, Mm -hmm. including... Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, um, Charles Woodson. And we have a few California wines as well. We have Brown Estates, which is the first Black-owned winery in Napa. Of course. Wine is delicious. (laughs) I'm just trying to highlight these things as someone that's in my position, not only for myself, but also other restaurateurs or other chefs and business owners that may be in a similar position. We have a Black chef, like why not have a Black-owned wine list. Why not get all your produce from Black purveyors or local Black farmers? I think I'm obviously not the first person to do this. I want to make that very clear with this space that I'm holding and this platform that I have to hopefully encourage other people to do the same. No, it's cool. It's a conscious choice on your part. And I think it's a great way to expand the base and the knowledge and awareness of those products and those wineries. And I know there's some breweries that are springing up too on the West Coast. Keep an eye out for those. And I know you do a cobbler, at least I read that you do a cobbler and and that you're also a fan of vegan ice cream. So I'm curious what the current cobbler is and what flavor ice cream are you doing? I have a pear cobbler. Right now I get ice cream from Van Leeuwen. On top of supporting Black home purveyors, I also like to support local if possible. So Van Leeuwen is literally a block over from us. So it's like a neighborhood spot. They are a chain though. I think they're everywhere, but they're local to us. So we use their cashew vanilla bean ice cream, which is pretty good. But again, with this new space, a lot of changes are happening. So I'm in the process of making our own ice cream. I just got this very unique device called a Paco Jet very expensive <laughs> but it makes ice cream so we'll be making our own ice creams i have a few recipes i'm playing around with uh, black sesame seed ice cream basil mint ice cream you can make like watermelon sorbet so we'll be playing around with ice cream flavors a bit more now that we have this amazing device called apology it sounds delicious shinari i wish you much continued success and appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule 
I'll be one of those people standing in line outside trying to peek in the window and see if I get a seat at some point. But to love what you're doing. And, and thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so great. I'm excited for you to come whenever you can. If you have problems, just email me. We can make it happen. All right. We got that on record. Thank you. Ambassador? I just wanted to say thank you. I've just enjoyed, my face is hurting. I enjoyed listening and watching you. About a year ago, I was telling Mr. Johnson that I linked into you. It was when you first opened, and I was just really proud when I was listening to the intriguing approach to your culinary genius. Thank you. Uh, so it was wonderful to see a year go by and all the success. Thank you, thank you. So this portion of the program, How We Move with Ambassador Shabazz. What's going on? Shinari Freeman doing her thing at Cadence, East Village, New York City. Love it. You have to say that out loud again and let it resonate because it's certainly a stop. I'm heading to New York, two trips, one in the next couple of weeks and then again in June. And I'm going to meander down there. The food just sounds delicious, also atmospherically. And for me, she is as lovely as she is innovative, informed, passionate, and unapologetically insistent regarding health. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I, I listening to her reminded me of my mother because my first, what, 15 years before go, getting sidetracked by the school lunches in high school, <laughs> when you get to experiment for the first time, was really everything she's talking about. That's my introduction to menu, cuisine, culinary, digestion, and taste. And um, and now, of course, once you get away, college didn't provide all of that nutrient-ready food. And so you start to explore with the other kinds of things, but just really brilliant. And, and, and the insistence is what is key. It, just her regiment from the moment she wakes up. And when she says she doesn't get online until noon, bless she as we would say in the Caribbean. I didn't say it with the accent, but with the inference, bless she. I think it's something we all, it's the only way to do what she aims to do and she's living it. So assuring that balance in her own life so that she can function and then share that with others through her works, her genius. That's exactly what occurred to me, that she is living it. What a spokesperson for the lifestyle. It just, for her to have caught herself at a young age, change direction, diet, spiritual, mentally, and the the path that then set her on to, to take her to this moment. Destiny is something, huh? Destiny is something, but it's work. So you have to live up to it, mm -hmm. right? We all have a destiny. We all have a purpose. We all have a mission assigned. Some happens early, some happens late. Some people can choose between the three doors and some have to go to door 40. She's just very clear and she is already at a young age able to recognize the benefits of it. Sure, you go, you binge, you go off, but she gets back because she knows she's monitoring herself. Yeah. You know, her own, she's her first litmus. Now, I know you are a tea and a potion person. So was I correct when I said that I could hear you scribbling notes in the background when she was talking about her little tea brews and all that? Well, the only thing of having you as a brother is you me all too well. And you're not supposed to out everything. You know? <laughs> but you're correct because I know those flavors that she was talking about. I know the medicinal, the she said refreshing in terms of hibiscus, but it also has a health property and once you know your body, once you know yourself, once you really can enjoy the burst of flavors and or the blend of flavors, you don't want typical food. You cannot digest typical food or shelved food, right? If it doesn't have, if it's not dried at, at the, with an expiration date that says in a minute, consume soon, consume fast. But I just really appreciate it. Even when it comes to the substitute meats, there were two points made. She's just absolutely definitive and she's a person who shops fresh. And so she can create that, which the textures and the flavors that she wants. But then you also made a point for those who are not meat eaters, who are meat eaters. It is the first step for people to learn that they can actually live without harming animals in order to do it. I think that's where our balances are 
and understanding the, where the twain meet. As you and I have spoken about, I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat one. I've grown up like one. It's just every now and then I like a nice taste of some kind of flavor, but it's usually a light meat or slices of or something like that. But for people who you want to encourage to have a little less fatty protein, I think the two substitute burgers serve a purpose for those who are looking for that taste, for that palate. Because when you described that burger that you made at home, I was also smiling on that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it is better for the things that we meant, the environment and of course for animals. And slightly better than consuming animal protein. So as you said, it's if you're looking for that burger experience and you want to come as close as you can to that and mimic it, then that's it's a good alternative. And that's yeah. what I opt for. I really understood mm-hmm. her point. And, and so it makes you think again, okay, when I need to binge, I won't binge with the bad stuff. I'll binge with the, with the uh, in-between stuff, but then I'll get back on on the mark. And what she enables you to know is that there's a metronome to your wellness. Absolutely. And I I just love the idea of the food that we have grown up eating and enjoying and feeling guilty about more as we get older is reinterpreted and reinvented in a way in which it doesn't have those harmful effects on us. I was kosher when I was a kid. And so we didn't have all these other options that they have now, tasty options. So um, eating vegetarian foods to make sure we did not touch pork or any kind of oils from an animal undecided. It was very easy for us to enjoy vegetables. My mother cooked, this is where herbs and spices and preparation comes in, where textures come in, as she stated. I didn't know that other households didn't eat that many vegetables. As a matter of fact, when you came to my mother's house to eat, if you were a neighborhood kid, you were going to eat the food that Aunt Betty made. And she, that's when she would introduce herself as such. Then she'd say, and you'd be pretty like Aunt Betty if you eat your... So I was nine when I started to realize, huh, she's part of the bargaining chip, but it was almost good skin, good spirits. Good. So she was a great, she was a great, she was a winner for enabling young people to dare to try to eat a, a different kind of spinach because my mother blended her spinach, her greens. I was going to make the point, but you alluded to it for me. And those of you, you know, you haven't seen a, a photograph of the ambassador lately, but I can assure you she looks 21. That skin just glows from a very healthy upbringing <laughs> and, and healthy lifestyle. But you've been on this path for a long time. So This is really not new. I'm so joyful to see it come around and it not be someone who is just doing it because they're going through some phase, but she actually fundamentally believes it. This is her conviction. It's great. And I can't wait to go down to Cadence. That's how we're going to be moving soon. So how we move, Ambassador Shabazz, we're moving towards Cadence next next time in New York City. (laughs) That's right. Amen. Yeah. Nice to see you. You too, my dear.